Well, this morning is, is one of those mornings where as I prepare for the week and get ready for it, and then I land here on Sunday, and then I begin to realize just how much I have to say today on a day which is a little bit shorter because we have communion. So uh, pray for me. I, I will try to resist the temptation of speaking faster than I normally do. I was looking at my message, and really I only have four points. The problem is there's 30 sub-points, so uh, just relax. Uh, Hope you didn't want to just kind of snooze today, because if you're going to get something out of it, you want to pay attention to what God has to say to us. So let's ask the Lord to take this time and really use in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good and great God. And as we gather together, we don't want to just be informed today. That's really not on your agenda. But we want to be transformed by truth. And so in the midst of the detail, Father, we pray that uh, we might see that which is most important for us to follow you and to know you. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. In many ways, I probably scared some of you thinking about it. I got 30 subpoints. Is really the message in, in, in the midst of its detail is, is rather simple. It's kind of summarizing the title, Getting Healthy. And, and we live in a day and age where getting healthy is uh, plastered and encouraged and and uh, promote it in so many different ways. You can't go on the internet without uh, seeing some kind of site about what kind of exercise, what kind of gym you ought to join, what kind of diet that is important for you if you're really going to be healthy, uh, as well as other places as well, as far as that there is, a, there is a, a challenge for us to be the best that we can be, and particularly as it relates to health. In fact, I was reading an article just last night, and it was giving how to get physically fit. And they had uh, eight or nine categories about that. And they started slow. They said, well, to get in shape, you ought to consult your doctor first because you don't want to do anything that might cause more pain than less pain. Then they went on and said, well, you need to start slowly, so pace yourself. Uh, Join a gym. And if you join a gym, you might be thinking about tri-circuit training, which simply is a complicated way to say don't do the same exercise over and over and over again. Do some other things as well that will promote other parts of your physical health. Um, uh, also, it, it's good to uh, walk or run every day, and if you don't have a pool, you could join a place where they allow you to swim, be regular, make it a routine, and obviously you ought to eat well. And of course, when you eat well, then they have all those kinds of ways you can eat well. You have the keto diet, the paleo diet, the South Beach diet, the Nutrisystem diet, the Weight Watchers diet, Jenny Craig diet, or simply just eat a lot of vegetables and fruit and leave all the carbs out, Right. And so there's all kinds of ways that people are trying to get you to get healthy. It was interesting to be on this list, though. You know what was number one on this list? If you want to get physically fit, if, you really want to, if you're really serious about getting physically fit, they said, join the military. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. So we have some recruiters right outside the church, right after it. You know, just, they'll make you get fit. You know, they'll, they'll put you in boot camp or whatever it might be, and they'll just... Uh, Ruin your life for a few months, and you'll probably be a little bit fitter than you were before. Well, today we're not going to talk so much about getting physically fit, though that's always a good, uh, you know, pursuit. Though the Bible says, you know, bodily discipline profits a little, but godliness is a means of great gain. So if, if you think that it's good to be in physical health, that, it is a good goal, but spiritual fitness is so much more critical to living your life to its fullest. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we think about getting spiritually fit as we see what God has to say to us out of this little book called Titus. Now, as you think about Titus, Titus is a book, as we've named it in terms of our series, a template for the church. Or to put it another way, it's a, it's a blueprint. It's a, it's a pattern. You know, when all else fails, read the, what, 
instructions. And so God has some instructions for us. And this is a little book. It's, it's, it's only three chapters. And I had to, you know, honestly tell you why I picked this book. It wasn't some spiritual reason. I had spent so much time in the Gospel of Luke, I had to pick a smaller book to say I can preach a shorter series. But this is a great, this is a great book to speak to us how we ought to live corporately and how we ought to live individually. And in the three chapters, if I were to, if I were to put it in some kind of a summary form, and we've gone through the first chapter, is that God wants us, if we're going to get our church right, and we, we are the church, then we ought to get leadership right. It all, everything rises and falls on leadership. Usually what they do, if a, if a team's not playing well, they fire the who? They fire the coach. They think he's got to be the problem. And, and, you, and this is also in the business world as well. If somehow a particular company is not doing well, they, they fire the CEO. They fire the president. They try to get someone else in leadership. And as we think about this, it's not necessarily getting the, the smartest people in the world in your leadership team. Uh, that's why I'm your pastor. I'm the, not the smartest person here. But, but that it's a person who is pursuing God all their heart and soul, and, and, and they want to be obedient to God's word, and, and they're living it out. They've got a track record. To say, well, they, they, They're not perfect, but you can follow them as an example for your faith. And if you don't have good examples, in fact, that's often what they'll talk about in physical fitness, you know, be with a, a group of people that are exercising like you are and I'll encourage you to exercise like, like they do. Or... It, I didn't say that wrong. Find a people that are exercising in a way you want to exercise, and if you follow them, then that'll build in your, lifetime, in your lifestyle. And so as you think about that, if we're going to get the church right, we've got to get leadership right. But eventually it gets down to all of us, because after you look at getting the leadership right, you've got to get the people right. Isn't that true? And in chapter, chapter 2, what he does, he starts speaking to everyone in the church. And we're going to see that in so, so, in so clear ways this morning because he, he really speaks to two age groups. He speaks to the older people, and he speaks to the what? The younger people. And that's basically what he's going to talk about this morning. Now, I'm not going to tell you which group you're in, all right, this morning. You can decide that on your own. But the reality is the principles to each group kind of relate to every part of uh, each one of us because all of us who are now described, self-described as older, we once were what? Younger. Now... Now, let me, this is a very profound point, and I'm kind of wasting time before I get the text, but is that, have you noticed that sometimes, as you look at your life honestly, some of the things you should have learned when you were younger, you still haven't learned yet, right? So if we look at some of these passages, you say, wow, I need to have some, you know, some, some uh, retraining of my, my life, to some, some of those things I should have learned back then, I, I, should, I should know and be applying now. And so he's going to talk to the older men, the older older women, he's going to talk to the younger women and the younger men, and then he's going to talk at the very end, in the passage we're looking at, he's going to talk to people who are out there in the workforce. You know, in other words, we ought to live it in the church, we ought to live it in the home, we ought to live it in our neighborhoods, and we ought to live it in the workplace as well. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. So let's, let's try to dive into it as we look at spiritual fitness advice for groups of people, older people, older men, older women, younger women, younger men and all of us who are still in the workforce, and what does God require of us if we're going to follow his blueprint, the pattern he has for lives that want to follow him. Now, because I have so much to say, I want to add to what I'm going to say this morning. So in, in Titus chapter 2, right before Titus chapter 2, there's Titus chapter 1, and there's a last verse in here that I really think introduces what we're going to be talking about. 
Because as we looked at leadership, we said get, get leadership right, and you can find what leadership is right by looking at the right standard, but you can also learn by not following the wrong standard. Some people get leadership right, and some people get it wrong, and one way to make sure you get it right is be careful about what is described as that, what is wrong. And he describes some people in the church, in the community, that are identifying with the church, and then he says this in describing it in verse 16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, that's rather a dark description of some people there, isn't it? And if you don't want to quite take all its you know, uh, depth in terms of people that are far from God, you could take some of those things and even on a, on a, on a superficial level, see how, how easily we can all fall into that category at times sometimes of, of saying we believe but not acting like we believe, right? Saying this is what I'm committed to and then we look at our life, well, I just, is that really true? Because it doesn't seem to play out in how you live your life. They deny him by being disobedient. Have any of you, since you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, disobeyed any of his principles and God's words? Okay, so, so we could be in that. Now, he's talking about people who are far, far from God, but even those who have come to faith in, in Christ, there are times that we, we act like, we, like we're, a, we're, we're a non-believer. We're acting, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, you're acting like mere men, which means you're, you're acting like the natural man, not the spiritual man. And so then he does, he makes a contrast, and that's why we're using this to lead into, well, what, what's the contrast? If, if we're not to be people who are far from God, who, who d- profess to know God but don't live like they know God, w- what should be true of us? And that's what we see this morning. Spiritual fitness advice uh, for God's people. And i got to make one other statement before I get into the text. Is this is one of those, one of those section God's word where it can be frustrating for people who are trying to teach it, whether in a small group environment or whether it's in a, a public setting like this, because we now live in the age in the, in the American Christian world that we have a lot of translations. And, and as I use this text as a, as, as a jumping-off section for what God says clearly to us in detail, you might be, if you have a different translation than New American Standard this morning, well, you might be saying, well, my Bible didn't put it that way. It, it, it says it this way. And I think one time I brought one of these volumes out, but in my library, I don't have that many books, but um, I have, uh, I bought this in the, I don't even remember if this was in the 70s or the 80s, but it was, it's the New Testament from 26 translations. And so I thought I better just read this and see what it looks like from different translations. And it had more options than the Amplified Bible. I mean, it was just like, I just said that for Bobby over here. Okay, is that... um, it just went on and on and on, the different words you can use in this section. And, and since that time, we've probably added 30 more translations in the American Christian world. But as we look at it, we're going to see some things here that we're, where God gets very clear about how we ought to, to live if we're going to get our lives right in living for Him and that template He has given us to, to be His followers. And we won't do it perfectly, but this ought to be the pursuit of our life. And then let's try to get into it this, this morning. Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. 
So, but as for you, which is in contrast to the people who were disobedient, those who professed to know God but weren't living it out, he said, for you who not only profess to know God but knew, do know God and want to live it out, let's not be, let's not be confused about what that should look like. Because sometimes we're a lot less spiritual than we think we are. Would you agree with that? All you have to do is talk to my wife and she'll tell you that, okay? Some of you think I'm some super saint, okay? Is that sometimes we, we, we're going down a certain direction, but we don't necessarily live it out. So he said, well, let me get very clear with you. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, now Paul, as he writes to Titus, and I've tried to set this book up this way, he writes to Titus, who was a pastor. And these are called, there are three books in the, old, in the New Testament that are called pastoral epistles, and they are, the word epistle simply means letter, and it's First and Second Timothy and Titus. And he writes to these pastors to have them impact their church in, in a ways that will honor God in a more pleasing way. But he also knows that the people are going to read these letters as well. And as he, as he speaks to them, he says, now as you read this, I hope you talk about it, all right? And hopefully, the, one of the reasons we do life groups and we we do it a sermon-based way as far as we try to take off on what was shared on Sundays. We want you to talk about what you heard on Sunday. It, it ought to be thought about and, and tried to apply throughout the week. But as for you, speak the things who are fitting for sound doctrine. He said, and, and the word doctrine just is the word teachings. The things you, you are taught, you know, think about it and share it in a healthy way. The word sound there comes from a word from which we get hygiene Talk about the things that are in the Word of God in a healthy way so that people realize this is good for you. And let me put it this way. If you don't think the Bible is good for you, then don't read it, okay? If you don't think it can help you in any way, don't, don't get into it. But the reason we would urge you at Grace Hills Church to, to make this your favorite book is because it's the, it's the healthiest manual you'll ever have. So he speaks to them in terms of a contrast for those who aren't even getting close to living out. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, sound teaching. And then he goes on and says this. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Now, I've already kind of shared with you my, my pain this week, you know, 30 subpoints to a four-point four message. But I'm going to try to just rapidly go through some of these words here. And what my goal is for all of us and for myself as well is we go through these, these principles of what does it look like, what's the template, what's the blueprint, what's the pattern for our lives corporately and individually is as we go through these, you might want to circle some of them saying, you know, here, here's something I need to work on a little bit. Here's, here's where I need to be honest with God says, you know, I... <laughs> I know about this, but I've been kind of pushing it aside, and I'm not living particularly faithfully this way. Does that make sense? So let's look at a few of them. He says, for older men, I want you to be temperate. And the word temperate here, and there's a, remember that whole temperance, for, for those of us who know a little bit about history, there was a temperance um, movement, I can think of the word, movement in our country, and it was all related to what? Alcohol. And basically the idea was that we need to get in control of this in our nation. But the word temperate here doesn't relate 
only to alcohol here. So I'm not going to use it there. I'm going to use it a little bit later when it does speak about alcohol. But the idea here is a person who is temperate who is a person who is under control. He's not overindulging in anything. And the things he is overindulging in, he say, I'm doing everything I possible to, to not live that way. And, and there's always com- competing goals in our life, isn't it? How many, how many like to eat good food? What's the problem with eating good food? You eat too much of it, right? And, and so the goal here is that as we think about what it means to live for God, it, it, part of it is realize we've we got to get under control. We've we got to learn to be able to say yes, and we've got to be able to say what? No. And it can be in good things in life as well as destructive things in life. So he said, look at you older men. You, you need to get under control. You need, you, need, you need to be a person that is, that is not overindulging in anything. Uh, then he goes on, he says, you need to be dignified. Now, this word dignified, I, I, when, I first re, when I normally read the, the word dignified, uh, just to be honest, sometimes I think, well, that sounds boring to, a little bit to me, you know, be dignified, you know, just, just be dignified, okay? But that's really not the idea here, is that you've got to be kind of... Uh, you, know, you don't have any sense of humor, you, you, only, you only do that which everyone else thinks you ought to do. He, he's not saying here, what he's saying here, a dignified is a person who does that which is appropriate, and, and really does that which is important. And we talked about that earlier when we, we memorized a verse out of Titus, is that as we think about living out the life, we understand what is important, and we do what is important. We do that which is appropriate. And as we think about older men, and we're going to look at older women as well, knowing what is important and living that way really has the idea of saying, look at you might retire from the workforce, but you don't retire from whom? God. And I want you to be dignified in the sense, I want you to do that what is appropriate, what is important, and live it out. Be under control and, and do what's important, live, live what is appropriate. And then he goes on and says, I also want you to be sensible. That's an interesting thing to say to a, what you would consider, at least chronologically, a mature person. The older you get, you ought to be a little bit more, what? Sensible. And that ought to be born out of maturity. But the reason he says those things to these particular people in this particular nation or country, the, the land of Crete, is because he was telling them some things they weren't necessarily what? Doing. The reason you need to be temperate because some of you are overindulging. You know, have you ever known some people, you know, they, they really keep in good shape until they retire and then they get out of shape? Hey, look, at you, you still need to be in shape even when you retire. Hey, you know, people who dignify, they, well, I always did what was important, but now I can do whatever I want. Well, it's good to have a little bit of freedom to do what you want, but you can't just, under God's program, you don't just do what you want, you do what's important. Am I making sense here? And then sensible, he said, look, you, you, need to, you need to have some common sense. You need to, make, need to make good judgments. And there are times we get tired of making good judgments, right? We'd rather just kind of do whatever. And he said, no, make sound judgment. Have some common sense. And then he talks about being sound in faith. Now, here's, there's a debate here about what this really means. Because you can use the word faith in two different ways. And again, the word sound here means healthy. I want you to be healthy in your faith. If you take it as personal faith, what he's talking about here is I want you to be sound in your personal faith in the sense that that your faith does something for you. That you trust God even when you don't necessarily understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. 
And, and the older that you have lived in this life, the more you've seen the suffering and pain of others, right? Haven't you? And, and, and you see things that just don't make sense to you. Things that you'd rather give God a lecture than, rather than God giving you a lecture. He said, look, when you're sound in your faith, that no matter what happens, that, that you realize that God is still on the throne. And, and that's true in every part of life. There are some people in their political perspective, and I don't want to get off on that too much. I can, but it's like their whole faith just evaporates depending upon who gets elected or not, or not elected, right? Look, God is still on the throne, and you can trust God no matter what happens politically or internationally, and you're sound, you're healthy in your faith because I'm able to handle anything that comes my way or the people I care about. Does that make sense? So he's challenging them. These aren't comfortable then because someone realizes, oh, I'm not living this way. The other idea of sound in faith is not your personal faith, but the content of your faith is that you really need to know what you believe. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things out there that just are not true. I was talking to one of our um, homebound people this, this past week, and they were, they were telling me you know, they can't come to, to church because of their physical uh, challenges. And uh, so they said, well, yeah, but I've really been enjoying it, watching you know, pastors on TV. And I thought, oh, my you know, and, and then she told me when I go, that's an awesome one. Keep, he's much better than I am. Don't, you don't need to come to church. You know, there are good people you can listen to that teach the Word of God, but there are others I'd say, oh, just stay away from them. And you have to be sound in faith to know who you should listen to and who you should not listen to. Say amen like you, you're agreeing with me. All right? Okay, so, all right. And then, then, he, and then he says two other things, and we've got to get moving here. He says, uh, also, uh, uh, in love and in perseverance. So now he, he talks to them and says, look, I, I want you, here's my advice for you, that you be fit by being temperate, by being dignified, by being sensible, by being sound in faith, and by being in love. Now, he's not talking about romantic love here, but he said, look, you, you need to treat people like Jesus wants you to treat them. Obviously, you need to be in love with God. Don't lose, don't lose your first love. That's what John said to the church at Ephesus in First John chapter, I mean Revelation chapter two, is look at don't let your love for Jesus grow cold. And that that can happen. The old because there aren't the older you get, there aren't as many new things you're going to experience in some in some areas of life. And so you need to keep you know stoking the fire there in your love relation with God, but also in your love relation with people. And so I want you to be the example in that way. And then in perseverance, which has the idea of the ability to endure hardship and accept disappointment and failure. And so you look back at your life, and you're not just moaning and whining about things that didn't happen, but you're looking forward to what God wants you to do now in your life and whatever might happen in the future. Does that make sense? So he, he, he's speaking now to the people. He said, you need to get leadership right. Now, look, at everyone needs to get right spiritually and Let's talk to you who've been down the, the road a little bit longer than others, and I, I want you to, to go after these qualities in your life. So even if you're not considering yourself in the older or, or, and you feel yourself more in the younger or vice versa, you might circle one or two of those that, that say, you know, I need to give some attention to this. And then he goes on, he says, okay, let's, let's talk to the under, other gender, all right? Let's talk to the women, older women, verse 3. Older women, likewise, 
are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that you may encourage the young women. So ladies, you, you have a job description. And in some ways, you can look at this. If, if you know anybody older than you, then you can uh, see yourself as younger. If you know anybody younger than you, you can see, see yourself as younger. I don't know if I said that right. But anyway, is that you, you can see yourself in any one of these categories. He says, okay, older women, you are to be reverent. And we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on that. But basically he's saying that you ought to be devoted in your, in your relationship to God. And really, where does it all begin in the Christian life? It all begins in your relationship with him, right? And so you need to be devoted to him. You need to be reverent. And the idea there is pursue him. You pursue him through the scriptures and you pursue him in prayer. But then, then he, gets kind of, he gets a little bit meddly here. He says, not malicious gossips. Now, for those who study language and how, how conversant some people are compared to other people, who usually speaks more, men or women? Women. women. There's, there's a verse. Oh, amen there, Maria. Okay, so, so uh, you know, the, in, in the book of Proverbs, it says, in the presence of many words, sin is unavoidable. Amen. <laughs> Which means, if you want to apply this, don't be malicious gossip. Just speak less, all right? Now, you know, that's a little unfair because... Um, well, anyway, but the idea here is we, we got to watch not only what comes out of our mouth, but how much comes out of our mouth. Because the more we say, we're going to trip ourselves up and we're going to hurt other people. The, the word here is a really interesting word. I, I was, uh, well, it, the word's diabolos, which it's a word that is used for Satan 34 times. When we gossip, and the whole idea here, the, the word can be translated slanderer. A malicious gossip. A gossip is simply someone who repeats something that they heard, this is one way to define it, in private and makes it what? Makes it public. Now, I, I've tried to invent a whole nother definition for the word gossip is that if you gossip in a good way, then do as much gossiping as you can. If you ever think of something nice about me, you can tell as many people as, as you want, all right? But if, if there's something that is negative about someone, number one, if it really bothers you, go to them in a, in a kind and gracious way. But if you hear something in a negative way about someone else, just keep it to yourself. I, was, I go through, well, I won't go through there. I've I got to watch how, how far I go off on a tangent. All right. The idea here is, is pretty plain, isn't it? The church should not be known, whether it's in our sharing of prayer requests or sharing of of just information we know that we think you need to know, um, is that this should not be happening among God's people. Is that sharing a private matter to even intimate, close friends, which they had not heard before, will separate them and destroy their relationship. So watch what you say to other people about what you know. You don't need to share everything you know. And, and then he goes on, he says, not in, uh, enslaved to much wine. Each one of these categories, you could go on, 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 on. I was just reading a, um, it was, since it relates to my title, here to help you live a healthy and productive life. And in it, there's a whole section on alcohol. And, and let's be honest, we're not even close to the temperance movement, temperance movement today. Alcohol consumption is, is on a, an amazing level now. 
in terms of every age group. And, and, and that, that is a great concern. And, and we, think it, we think it's a lot more healthy than it really is. I was reading a number of articles this week about, you know, some people, you know, a, wine, a glass a day keeps the doctor away. Well, they're saying the studies really don't show that. And, and as we think about alcohol, alcohol, particularly in a lot of drinks, has a much higher content, particularly in the time of Jesus. And I, I'm not saying that, that alcohol cannot be used by, by committed Christians. But, but the danger is there. Danger in terms of if you ever get behind a wheel, driving. The danger in there is, is not only um, when, you, when people drink alcohol, that other thing we just talked about, malicious gossip, it, it becomes a lot easier. You know, alcohol has a tendency to loosen people's tongue to the point where they're talking about things they shouldn't be talking about. They've done a number of studies now that people who drink consistently and at any time consistently, they lose not only you know, weeks off their life, they, they lose years off their life. Some say even decades. So as we think about it, it, and again, why was he saying that to that group of people? They're church-going people because they were doing that. They were gossiping in a devilish way among the people in their own church. They were, they were drinking much too wine. Too much wine. And so it's not, it, it's not to, for any of us to say, well, I don't have that sin, so I must be better than the other person. No, it, it is, you know, where, where is it that God wants to speak into our life and say, hey, this, this applies to you? And then he goes on and says, well, not only do you want you, I want you to, <clears throat> to be reverent in your behavior and, and be not malicious in your gossip, not be enslaved to much wine. He says, I want you to teach what is good. And this really, this puts the, the, the ladies here uh, with a job description. This is part of your portfolio. Part, part, portfolio. You might say, well, I, I'm not a teacher. You know, I'm a, I'm a whatever. Well, what you do influences others, and that's what teachers do. And, and you want to say, well, how is my life impacting others in a good way? And he challenges them to do that. And then he says, I want you to be encouraging the young women. And so if you think of anything else, what you could do is look, look, look at anybody younger than you. How can I be around them and lift them up rather than put them down? And sometimes we who are older, we, we are quick more to criticize than to, to lift up. So we looked at the older women and the older men. And now let's look at the younger women because this kind of jumps right into it. He says, to love your, he says well, how, how should you teach and how should you encourage? Encourage young women to love their husbands. Now, again, I, I'm always struck by that. I say, look at, this, seems, this, this list here is pretty basic, isn't it? But again, it, it wasn't happening. And, and we, we are living in a, in a day and age where men are probably, in most sitcoms, are, are men lifted up or are they laughed at? Yeah, I mean, they're laughed at all the time, Right? And we can kind of get into that. We, we, you, know, you can cluster around, and, and all of a sudden, women can complain about their husbands. And they have a lot of material, don't they, men, right? There's, there's a lot of things they can complain about us. But the, the thing that we, what we need to do within the church is, is, is change that culture and, and, and go around to, to younger married women and just say, look, look this, is, this is your challenge, to love your husbands consistently and faithfully. Faithfully and deeply. 
And we know that that is a challenge. But if you want any bigger challenge, what did Jesus say about love? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But I say, love your what? Love your enemies. And sometimes we have to admit it, it's, it's, it is so difficult in the home. But, but once two people are joined together, God said, look it, do everything you can to make that a place where love is demonstrated. And then he goes on and he says, well, and also the little people in your heart, love your children. And we, we are in an age where, I keep saying that we're in an age, is that um, I, I think many homes can very easily become child-centric. Would you agree with that? I mean, it becomes hel- helicopter parents, you know, they're always flying around their kids and wanting everything to be perfect for them. I, m- you know, my kid did, got, did this at school, and my kid did, did this over school. My kid's a great athlete or great musician. I like the bumper sticker said, well, my kid beat up your kid, you know, one, but, you know, is that there's all kinds of things that can happen, okay, and if you, re- I, I want to just kind of dub back to what I just said before, if, if you want to love your children well, then love your spouse, because that would be the most secure thing for them in the home, and that might be the most challenging thing to do, but love your spouse, and then, then spill over to your children. And, of course, there's all kinds of extremes, and we have to, we have to be careful about that. We can, we can either spoil our kids or we can neglect our kids. You can, you can be over-attentive of your kids. You don't allow your kids to grow up. They've got to grow up. And, and let me tell you, it, it's, not about, it's not about the right way to put them in school. You know, some say, well, the only way to school is to homeschool. Some people say the only way to school them is to put them in a Christian school. The other people, the only way to put them is put them in public school. You know, the reality is the only way for, to raise your children right is point them to Christ. Get them a healthy relationship in the church. And realize as soon as possible, you want them to be involved in, 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 in impacting their community. They can be the, some of the best inviters to, to church, to, to Jesus, to, to, uh, to hear about what God is all about. And if somehow you, you leave out of pointing them to Christ and pointing them to the church and pointing them to reach out to their community, then you're not raising up the next generation to be all that God wants them to be. There's all kinds of pluses and minuses for the three ways to have them formally schooled. And let me tell you, there's minuses as well as pluses in each way. And, and you need to realize, you better put, make sure it's all about Christ, it's all about the church, and it's all about the community reaching people for Jesus. And you never stop being a parent, let me tell you. And, and, and that's the passion you want to live in front of your, in front of your kids and, and be most concerned about that. And it's interesting, as we look at the other list real quickly, and we do need to go quickly in the next few minutes. He says, teach the young women, encourage the young women to, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible. Again, he, he has the idea, uh, common sense. Help, help them to think about what they're doing. Uh, that they be pure, which is the idea of being faithful in their marriage. There's all kinds of things we could say about that as well. Workers at home. You know, again, there are those who will take this in a couple different ways. Some will say that, that women should never work outside of the home. And then others say, well, no, they can work outside the home. Well, what is it? Well, it's probably a little bit both. But I, I think the point here is that, is that 
for the, for the women who have children, your most important work is in the home. And you can work outside the home, but if somehow the, the job outside the home impacts how you're raising your family and loving your, your husband, then something has to change. If you can do both, then that's fine. But what, what gets the priority? What's most important? It talks about being kind, which is the idea of doing that which is beneficial for others. Being subject to your own husbands, which the idea is, can, can you look to your husband as a leader? And then he gets it, so the, the, the word of God will not be dishonored. It, it's a, and some of your translations might even say, so the word of God might not be blasphemed. And see, people can look at Bible people, which is anybody who follows Jesus, and saying, well, it, it says in the Bible, but you're, you're not even trying to live that out. And so they speak evil of the book that we say that we love because we're not pursuing living it out. Not quickly. He goes from the older men to the older women to the younger women, and then he talks to the younger men. And what does he say to them? He, he says some of the things that he's already said. I likewise to urge the young men to be sensible. It sounds to me that a lot of the people in that church weren't very what? sensible, okay? They weren't exercising a whole lot of common sense. They weren't making good judgment. You know, life can be described in so many different ways simply as the choices you're making, right? What are the decisions you're making? And he's saying, look, you need to think clearly before you do whatever you do. And then he goes on, and we've memorized this verse, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, which is the idea, are, are, are you the type of person who's always looking for someone to help you? Or are, you looking, are you the kind of person that you're looking to help somebody else? Or are you a person who's pursuing others or just yourself? Philippians chapter 2 says this, Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so look, be, be an other-centered person with purity and doctrine. They has the idea, believing what is true, dignified, knowing what is important, sound or healthy in speech, which is beyond approach. Basically, he's saying, look, you, you got to watch, watch your tongue. Some things you're talking about and how you're talking about them, it, it shows no relationship to Jesus. Be sound, healthy in your speech. And then he goes on, and then he describes this again. He says, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Since I already had a poll earlier in the, in the, in the message, how, how many have ever had anybody say something bad about you? The rest of you are just lying, okay? All right. I just said something bad about you. See, you can now raise your hand the next time I ask the question, okay? Is that if, if no one's ever said anything bad about you, you don't know a whole lot of people, and you're not involved in too many people's lives because you just do it any, for any length of time, and you're going to have people who are going to say critical things about you behind your back sometimes to your face, and there are things that they're going to say. Now, now, when people say something bad about you or critical, what are you supposed to do? First of all, what you got to do is, did what they just say, is it actually what? True. And if it's true, then you got to admit it and just confess it and say, okay, I was wrong and move on, all right? But you know how do you, how do you deal with people who say bad things about you? Just make sure that the things that they're saying bad about you are not what? True. And that's simply what he's saying here. Look, at you're living in a world which is a critical world, and people are going to be critical about you. But if what they're criticizing you about is not true in the end. 
they'll find out and, and they'll be put to shame rather than putting you to shame. People might uh, uh, you know, initially believe what they're saying that's, that's negative or wrong, but when it's not true, when, when they're found out to be the one that is the liar and not you, then it, will, then, it, then it will be a message to them in a very profound way. So we look at this list. This is a rather long list, and we're just about over because we're going to go through this last section really fast. He, he's saying to the church, look, at, I want you not only to get the leadership right, but I want you to get right. And I want you to realize that I can get very specific about how that ought to look if you're living for me. And he, he lists all these things. And then he says, okay, i got to talk to all of you in the workforce. So he says in verses 9 and 10, these words, to those who are still working, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that, the, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Now, as we've been rapidly going through this, we could have made this a series for each age group, right, stage of life. And there's so much we could say about what God says about how we ought to live in the workforce. And you're saying, well, no, he's talking about slaves here. Well, in many ways, that's, that was the workforce then. And, and we could go on as we look at historically. When you look where slavery has, has dissipated, it's where the Christian church went. And it changed everything because as it taught the truth about how you got to treat people, they were, well, why am I treating him as a slave? Why is he or she a slave? But in, in the meantime, what was most important is what our memory verse for the month is all about. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, if to die is gain, whatever I experience in this world is nothing compared to what I'm going to receive when I receive him face to face. So I can experience suffering now if what I'm doing is living for the cause of Christ and leading people in a right relationship with the God who created all things. And, and he says, look, I just want you to be very clear. What's it all about? Number one, it's, is you ought to be submissive or subject to the one who is in charge of you, whether it be a leader, a, co- a, a coach, a teacher, a boss, you know, what they say goes. It's, it, they're in charge. And unless they're asking you to do something that's illegal or immoral, do what they say. We, we live in a day where you can, you can change jobs, but when you're in, under a job, under, under employment, then you need to do what the boss says. He says, and as you're doing it, make sure what you're doing is you're trying to please them. You know, normally if you please the, the person you're under, it's good for you, right? I mean, if you do what the coach says, he'll probably get, let you play more, right? If you, do, if you do what pleases the boss, it'll probably give you, you know, a, a promotion. If you do what a teacher asks you to do, you'll get a better what? Great. So he said, look, at this, this makes so much sense. Just live according to God's blueprint, God's plan. Okay, be under submission. Do what's pleasing to the person over you. Not argumentative. Now, you know, I just like to argue for fun, quite frankly, Okay. But, you know, there's a difference between arguing, you know, because you, you like debate, you like to discuss, and, and when you're arguing, you're trying to make the other person look bad. And, and that's what he's saying here. Look, don't come across as superior to someone else when you're discussing anything. Not pilfering. You know, don't steal from the people that you're getting resources from. And, and then I just want to close this because it's, it's such a great devotional thought. But showing all good faith so that you will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. In, in the midst of, of Paul giving 30 subpoints and, you know, 10 verses, he says, okay, let me just summarize it this way. When we get our life right in a relationship with God, and none of us do it perfectly, let's, let's, let's open confession here. 
But this is the pursuit of our life. You know what we do? We adorn what God says as being true, not only true, and not only true, but healthy, but also beautiful. The word adorn here comes from a word from which we get cosmetics. Now, why it, it usually, you know, you know, usually it's the ladies putting on more cosmetics than the guys, though I see some guys doing that now, but is that um, why, why, do, why, do, uh, why, why do ladies put on cosmetics? Because it makes them what? Look, look pretty, right? It makes them look good. And you know how do we look good in the, in, in the world today? How, what kind of cosmetics we would put on? And I think it was uh, Dr. McGee said this. He said, you know, why do people, why, why do ladies put on lipstick on their, on their, on their lips? Because it highlights their, their lips, right? It makes it prettier. It makes it more beautiful. He says, so, so when you think about wh- how anybody might put on a cosmetic, it's saying, well, why would they put on lips? Be- because they want to be- make it look more beautiful. Why would we, what would be the cosmetic of putting a lipstick on our lips is that we would speak well, right? As in Ephesians chapter 4, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that we may give grace to those who hear. So when we think about living our life, we, you know, we, guys might want to use a different word than cosmetics, but, but whatever we might do in terms of, to look a little bit better, not to bring attention to ourselves, but bring attention to him. Where we live in such a way that, that people look at what we speak about, what we pursue, what's important to us, how do we treat people in relationships that we have, how we are other-centered rather than self-centered, how we care, truly care about people, and, and, and then realizing that when we do all that, we do it out of a sense of joy because of what God has done for us, then when we speak about Jesus, then people are going to listen because, you know, if it, if it works for you, maybe it could work for me. If, that, if that's how your marriage is going because of your love for Jesus and following his plan, maybe, maybe that might be helpful in my family. And so as we think about what this is all about, it's, it's not just to impress people, but it's to impress God and please God, and, and then our lives can then be used of him to make a difference in other people's lives who can see what Jesus does with people who surrender their hearts to him. Let's pray. Fathers, we, if we transition to the, the communion table, we, uh, we pray at this moment that we might realize we can't do any of this on our own. It only comes when we surrender our lives to the one who surrendered his life for us. As we partake of the bread and the cup at this moment, we pray that we might just remember that Jesus sets us free from the penalty of sin and then allows us to pursue power over our sin. Help us to live for you, and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.